just to start the podcast, I want to let everyone know that I have changed um, hosts for this podcast. The previous host was supposed to redirect um, everyone to the new host. And the actual links to the different podcatchers such as Google, um, Podcasts, Spotify, any of those should automatically um, redirect or bring up the correct podcast. I've been testing them out and so far most have worked okay. Um, There's just an issue though with the previous host sending um, you to the current host. So... um, If you are listening to this, you may want to go back in and just, um, you know, check to make sure that you're still subscribed or that it's being directed properly. The new host is Podbean. And if you go to my Facebook page, see the Invisible 2020, which will be linked in the um, description of this podcast, then um, you'll have more information on there and I'll have more links on that page as well. Thank you. Hi everyone. Welcome to See the Invisible, Living with an Invisible or Rare Disease. My name is Rhonda Franny Jefferson, and thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. Just to let you know a little bit about the podcast and why I started it, I wanted to have a way to let people know that they're not alone to try to spread encouragement as I had faced some, I guess you would say adversity um, during this time of COVID-19. And I thought that, you know, if I'm experiencing that, others may be also. And I wanted to find a way to both make my voice heard and let others know that their voices should be heard. Um, As always, I try to spread some positivity and try to you know take my personal challenges, um, combine it with articles that I read because I do a lot of reading on the subject and just kind of bring my opinion and my experiences um, to the podcast. Now before I do start um, the actual topic, I always do like to say that I am in no way a medical insurance or legal expert. If you do have any questions regarding those fields, please make sure that you're reaching out to a medical professional or a professional in um, the respective field. So today's topic will be about getting doctors to believe us. So I'm sure that a lot of us go through this. So even with things that are outside of my invisible illness, it can sometimes be hard to get doctors to really understand that we're not going to them just to vent or we're not going to them, you know, for any other ulterior motive. We're there to get help, to get a diagnosis, to get some treatment. And a lot of times people end up leaving the doctor feeling like they weren't heard. So I just want to provide an example that it's even outside of those with an invisible illness. So given this example, you know, it's really, really difficult then when you actually do have an invisible illness to be heard. So the example that really sticks in my mind, and I wish I had pictures from them, but I don't, 
Um, but my primary care physician at one point took on a couple of new doctors into the practice. You know, my primary care doctor knew me very well, but these doctors, you know, were kind of new to me. Um, now I am prone to something called a Shalazian, and I hope I'm pronouncing it that right, right, but I've heard it pronounced a few different ways. But basically this is a cyst that forms on my eyelid. Now, there were there was a time where in a very short period of time I had to have four or five removed. Um, now most of them, um, three or four, had been from my lower lid on my left eye, but um, I had had the one removed on the bottom left lid, but within a couple of days I started to feel that something was happening to the upper lid. Um, I called the surgeon's office who had performed it and they said they couldn't see me without a referral, that if I had been having pain or discomfort in the one I just had surgery on, that they could see me. But as this was a different eyelid, I needed a new um, referral. So at that point, I was also getting an upper respiratory infection, which I've now come to learn was probably not an upper respiratory infection, but that was just kind of a go-to whenever I went to see my doctor. Um, now we're a little more familiar with it probably was symptoms of my illness but I you know had an appointment to see the doctor about the respiratory infection so when I went in I saw one of the newer doctors and I mentioned the concern about my eye and he just kept telling me oh it's just discomfort from your surgery and I was making it very clear no this is on a different lid. Yes, the same eye, but a different lid. And he just would not give me the referral. So this went on for a few days. I would call the office and say that, you know, there was really something wrong. I really needed to see the eye doctor and he kept ignoring me. One day I woke up and somehow in the night, I guess the cyst had ruptured and I got cellulitis all around my eye and my eyelid, and it was awful. It was swollen shut, it was black and blue. And I had to call my dad to drive me, and I walked into the doctor's office, and you know, the nurse and the receptionist, they just all kind of looked at me, but they also told me the doctor wouldn't be in until afternoon because of um, rounds at the hospital. So, I went to work actually and then my dad picked me up so I could get there right afternoon and I walked in and the doctor who had been ignoring me was you know standing in kind of the office area where he could see me and he didn't even have me come back he just looked at me and he called the surgeon and said I needed to be seen ASAP so I go down there and the surgeon asked me you know why didn't you call us why didn't you come in sooner because at that point I had to wait to have the surgery because the infection was so bad. Um, so I was being put on a lot of antibiotics. And when I told him, you know, he just kind of nodded his head and he walked out of the office and within a few minutes I hear yelling. So he was actually calling the doctor who had kept ignoring me and was yelling. Um, you know, he, the surgeon just thought after so many in such a short period of time, I should have recognized the signs. And I'm like, I did, but I just couldn't get in. 
So since then, I've only had a couple of more um, that I needed to have removed, but just the fact that there was a known problem that I did get these often, that I was having discomfort and I was still ignored. So having a different illness, having something else that, you know, the doctors didn't even have that information on made me explaining, you know, how I felt with the Stills disease. It was so frustrating. So many of us know the feeling of the doctors just kind of shooing us away. There's no other way to say it. And I'm not saying every doctor is like that, but many of us can feel that. Um, so though not all rare illnesses are invisible and vice versa, there are still a lot of commonalities that we as a community have to deal with when speaking with the doctors. Now, thankfully, my primary care physician actually got rid of those doctors within a very short period of time, and it went back to just being her and a nurse practitioner. And that nurse practitioner knew me very well, and you know, years even before my diagnosis, she had run a test for an autoimmune illness. And though that didn't quite come back um, to indicate you know, any of the markers for that illness, it was still years before I had another test done. This particular um, nurse practitioner, she left the practice and went to another um, healthcare facility because her husband had to move for work. And so at some point, a new nurse practitioner came in and she's great too. Um, I still see her even though my primary doctor, you know, basically retired and closed the practice. Um, the nurse practitioner is in with another one now. But I've had re really actually great experiences with nurse practitioners um, just in my experiences. I sometimes, I, it feels like I get more time with a nurse practitioner. So I've had a lot of luck with those. Um, but while it still may have taken a lot of time my, for my diagnosis, you know, where would my actual physical health be if you know, somehow those tests had continued to be run the first time. If, you know, just somewhere along the way, a doctor said, you know what, let me run a couple more tests. I need to look at a few more things. My overall health would be much, much better because I wouldn't have years of damage, um, you know, through the inflammation that I do have. So I did go through a lot of mental anguish. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, like I said, I would be told that I had an upper respiratory infection. Sometimes they said it was my sinuses. If I was showing an actual rash, they would say it was contact dermatitis. Any pain that I felt was osteoarthritis, which unfortunately I actually do have signs of that, but that delayed my diagnosis of the autoimmune or autoinflammatory. Um, if you listened to last week's episode, you probably heard how I still sometimes say autoimmune when it's actually autoinflammatory. Um, but, you know, whenever I would go, it the diagnosis would be at that point, whatever or wherever the illness was actually showing. So that's why at times I was told it was a respiratory infection. Sometimes I was told, you know, 
it was just, you know, a sore throat basically or allergies. Um, and then I did have, like I said, osteoarthritis. And so it was just all kind of chalked up to different things. And I was seeing a number of different specialists and they each knew about each other, but somewhere along the way, none of them ever put everything together that, you know, I was seeing a rheumatologist and arthritis doctor because of the pain. I was seeing a gastroenterologist because of GI issues. I was seeing an allergist because of constant um, you know, throat problems, breathing problems. And, you know, it was just so many different doctors. And the best excuse I think I ever heard was um, I had to have this test done for the GI issues. And when I got there, they said, you might actually be here all night, maybe even up to 24 hours to three days. And I was like, what are you talking about? I was never told this. I was told maybe three hours. And what it was is basically I had to drink this stuff and they had to take x-rays and see how quickly it went through me. Um, they did say very, very rarely was anyone there the three days, but you know they had to say that. And I was out of there within two to three hours because they said they never saw anything like it that it, they were like actually telling people they had to, you know, wait to have an x-ray done because I needed mine done. And at some point, the technician who was running the test asked if I did have Crohn's disease because the only other time she had ever seen anything like this was with Crohn's patients. And mine was actually faster than some or most that she had seen. But when I followed up with the GI doctor, he actually said it was gravity. And yes, that was gravity. That whenever I stood up, gravity pulled everything down inside of me and I had GI issues. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he actually moved out of the area and that is no loss to this area because yeah, um, <laughs> it, it was gravity, but I digress. <laughs> But there are other issues, um, you know, misconceptions when someone mentions the word pain, along with some fear by people in the medical community that if they prescribe any type of pain medication, that they'll open themselves up to liability or investigations if a person becomes addicted. And I am in no way disregarding the fact that people do become addicted to, you know, pain medications or other medications. And, you know, that is a medical condition as well, but because of all the um, attention that it's received, the lawsuits that have been filed, and you know all of the government oversight, I really think some doctors are just afraid to even bring up pain medication, and you know when they hear the word pain, I think some of them also think, okay, well. This is someone just looking for some drugs. When I really feel the vast majority of us are like, I don't care if it's a pain medication or not. If you're treating the actual cause, if you're giving a medication that treats what's causing the pain rather than just the pain, 
I'm fine with that. I mean, that's what I was looking for all along. Um, I didn't want something that just treated the symptom as in only treated the pain. I was looking for something to treat the underlying um, condition. I've been open with my doctor that I don't really want, you know, pain medication as much right now because I know that if, as this illness progresses that I will probably need you know, some stronger or different pain medication and I don't want to start taking it until I absolutely need it. Now again, going back to what I said a little while ago, that if the illness had been discovered earlier and been treated earlier, I wouldn't have permanent damage to my joints and things like that. Um, so, you know, earlier diagnosis definitely leads to a better outlook when it comes to your health. So when, you know, people hear that word pain and automatically think of either drug seeking or as a medical professional, that fear of, you know, being managed by the government, what that does to those truly in pain and truly suffering is that they may be met with closed ears as soon as they say that word. Now, to lighten the mood a little bit, I did read um, an article on Healthline.com, and you know, again, um, as far as my sources, as usual, um, I'll have them linked in the description. There was an article that someone wrote that was a little sarcastic, I would say, and um, it was discussing things that you can do to try to make your doctor listen. And she said that we could bring a polygraph machine to your next appointment, make sure you're hooked up to it when you remind your doc that you're in severe daily pain. He'll acknowledge that while the machine claims you aren't lying, your insurance doesn't cover polygraph tests. And thus, he can't take the results into account when determining your treatment plan, which is yoga. And that was a direct quote from the article. And while this is meant to be comedy as a way to cope with our feelings being ignored, it does speak to the level of frustration that we feel. So what are some tips about getting our doctors to believe us when he or she can't see the symptoms? How can you explain some very real symptoms of a doctor who is a person of science and wants actual evidence that they can see? How can you convince them that you truly need help? Now, first is educate yourself. And going back to one um, article that I read, it was very, very, um, very, very close to what I went through. Um, the writer, Lauren Stiles, said that, I diagnosed myself through the internet. I found the doctors I needed through the internet. I found the other patients I needed for support through the internet. Thank God for the internet. So I had done some of the similar things. I looked up my symptoms on WebMD and then um, I could look up the tests that my doctors had ordered and the results. And by process of elimination, I had either meningitis or Stills disease. So in probably about my 10th doctor's appointment in two weeks, and I am not exaggerating, um, and my doctors had been literally pouring through books, 
you know, calling other doctors for, you know, consultation um, right before I was admitted to the hospital. And so she apparently had done something very similar, whether it was through colleagues, her books, whatever. But when I saw her on that appointment, she told me that she was sending me to the hospital that I basically had to have had meningitis. And, you know, kind of a, you know, gut instinct reaction was you hear the word meningitis and you get scared. And then I thought about it and, you know, these symptoms I'd been having for almost two decades. And while they were much, much stronger at this point in time when I was seeing her, um, you know, the worst they had ever been, you know, I said that, you know, I, you know, pretty much I couldn't have meningitis, that I've been having these symptoms for so long. And I said, I'm pretty sure that I'd be dead by now. So needless to say, I did not have meningitis. Which at the time though, when I heard meningitis, I was, I was more scared of meningitis than Still's disease. And looking back, I honestly don't know which would have been worse. I know meningitis, there are different forms, and it would have depended on which form it was and what the um, impact was to me as an individual. But with the Stills disease, I know it's a steady decline that I'm having, and you know I just don't know what it would have been like if I had one instead of the other. But having a knowledge of the internet, how to use WebMD or any other website you might use can be a double-edged sword. Again, going back to what doctors hear or think when you say certain words, if you say Google or mention any you know, medical website, they may immediately tune you out. They might assume that you're exaggerating the symptoms you know, while you're searching or that you're not taking all of the factors of an illness into account. But we know our bodies. We know what we're feeling. And it could be really a balancing act by bringing up the information that you found online while not seeming that you're insulting the doctor's ability. Each doctor may feel somewhat differently about their patients looking up symptoms online, but it may also show that you're very serious about getting to the bottom of things. And you should also be very specific about your symptoms. Just saying, you know, I have pain sometimes, maybe in this general area. That doesn't do much to tell the doctor what you're feeling. So be specific such as saying, I had a pain right here, pointing to it. Um, for a few hours on Saturday, it was a sharp stabbing pain and it also woke me up in the middle of the night. It didn't go away and I still have this pain. Being able to describe it as specifically as possible, whether it's pain or anything else, that was just an example I used, it will make you sound more sure and confident about the fact that you know something is wrong. And that is also another concern as well because the more times that doctors say that there's nothing wrong the less confident we'll feel in our ability to really understand our bodies so it's this back and forth this cycle and also insist that what you're feeling is not normal and so you know this 
at this time, um, just kind of looking at my average week, before I had my diagnosis, there were maybe five days where I would think that I am in pain, there's something wrong, I'm having these respiratory infections or I'm having these respiratory issues, I'm having GI issues, there is something wrong. And I knew that there was something wrong. But the other two days I could be split either thinking that I was imagining the symptoms or more often that everyone else in the world went through the exact same thing that I was feeling every day and I was just too much of a wimp to handle it. Now as time progressed it got to be probably split down the middle that the more doctors I saw the more that said there was nothing wrong the less confident I really felt in myself in recognizing that I did have an illness that someone just was not you know paying attention to or listening to me about so having a confidence in yourself can go a very long way um, next would be be honest about how you're really feeling you know I'm sure we've all been there someone asks hi how are you today and just as a society our automatic response is I'm fine how are you but how many times can we actually say that we're okay are there a lot of times where we really want to respond, you know what, I'm not okay. Some of us still feel that we should act this way even with our doctors, that we should really, you know, go into the societal norms and say that everything's pretty much fine. But with doctors, this is the exact opposite time to do that. You're at the doctor and you have to be honest unless it's just your normal annual checkup, you're probably not there just to catch up with your doctor on what's been happening over the past year. You're there because you don't feel well, that you need someone to help you, and saying that you're fine or you're doing okay defeats that purpose. Um, kind of along those lines too, understand how your doctors work. Now, one of my doctors uses this messaging system, and it took me some time to really get used to it. I'm, still not entirely enthralled with it but I've learned how far in advance I have to you know send something if it's um, kind of a routine issue like a prescription refill and what words I need to use to get a response rather quickly um, but it's actually much more responsive because there were times where you know I couldn't get anything from them and compared to say the seven, eight, seven or eight years ago when I first started seeing them, they are light years beyond where they would have, I would have expected them to be. I mean, back then they didn't even make their own photocopies of things. They sent it out to a company um, that was 45 minutes away who had to make a trip over once a week, take information back, print it out, then come back with it the following week when they picked up the next disc or hard drive, whatever they picked up. But yeah, that was only seven or eight years ago. So the fact that they have like this online messaging system is, you know, um, something I wouldn't have expected given that. But the doctor there did explain how the system worked. I have another doctor who is part of this huge system Thankfully, I understand now after discussing things with them 
that when I send a message, it goes directly to her and her assistant. So I know it's getting to them and she's actually told me she prefers that type of communication. So just you know, find the ways to get to your doctor sooner when you need them. Um, find kind of the keywords that they really tune into and it may take a while, but um, you know, I found that it's helped a lot over these past couple of years, especially. So sometimes even once we get the diagnosis, we still may have some issues in getting somebody to believe us. So after my diagnosis, um, I saw the doctor who was in the specialty that treated my illness, even though she didn't have a current patient with it. But one time I went to see her and I was in pain and she didn't really believe me. Um, I was having pain in my abdomen and she told me that it was impossible. That Stills disease didn't have abdominal pain as a symptom. When I go online, for example, right now, and I look at the Wikipedia for my illness, it says that there's enlargement of the liver and spleen. On a article from the clevelandclinic.org, it mentions abdominal pain as one of the symptoms, but she laughed at me. Initially, I felt that she was laughing at my pain, but you know, afterwards and thinking about it, I think she was laughing over the fact that I was arguing with her that she's the doctor and here I am going against what she said. She even said though that she knew it was not a symptom because she had Googled Stills disease before she saw me that day. So that really makes someone feel very confident in their doctor. So I know it's rare and I've had my fair share of people say that they've Googled it, but especially my specialist, the one who was supposed to, for you know, lack of a better word, keeping repeating it here, to specialize in this type of illness. So from that point on, I started to come to my appointments with information that I got off the website from Cleveland Clinic and Mayo Clinic seemed to be very good resources for me. And, you know, at one point I'm like, thinking to myself, this is going to be insulting to a new doctor. But then I thought, you know what? It's better than saying or hearing the doctor say, I googled it as they're starting to treat you for the first time. So I just I just started taking certain printouts that explained the illness. Even a doctor that I'd had um, who did surgery on me over a course of, you know, a number of years, um, he went to put a port in and it was for my infusions and he had read the order and he said so Stills disease what kind of cancer is that and you know this is a doctor I do trust him um, but at the same time it's so rare that you know he had never really encountered it before um, something else that will help us be better armed with information when we go to the doctor is you know, try to look for support groups or conferences for those who have the same condition as we do. That way we can come to better understand what the procession of the disease may be, um, or progression, I should say. 
what that may be. Um, we can see the difference in, you know, that different patients have different symptoms or one symptom may be more severe in one patient and a different symptom more severe in another one. So we can, you know, kind of come together as one community and understand, you know, what the illness may bring. And, you know, like I said, also come armed to those appointments with a doctor with information that we've gleaned through a number of different sources. And again, I think confidence really, really adds a lot to being heard by your doctor. Um, also, don't be afraid to repeat your concerns. If it doesn't seem like you know, you're being heard, make sure you still bring it up that you mention it again and again. Um, I know I've mentioned my son at times previously, he's on the autism spectrum, but he just seemed to fall through the cracks, even with you know, me at every appointment, even making special appointments specifically for this, I was not heard. And it was due to a number of different factors. Literally, there is one pediatrician's office in my city. There used to be three. One guy was looking to retire, so you know, I had called him at one point and they were not taking any more patients because he was so close to retirement. Um, then there was a smaller practice and then a very large practice. Well, the smaller practice still was pretty big, but they were eventually bought out by the bigger practice. So it was just during all of these changes and my son would see a new doctor every time that he came in and there was really no way that the doctor could have a baseline of his behavior because it was a different doctor all the time. And, you know, I was being told a number of different times that he's fine, you know, he's your first child and, you know, it'll be fine. Just keep an eye on him. And it's like, okay, I, I may be a first-time mother, but I have a number of nieces and nephews. I know about where his development should be. But it took years and years and years to finally have someone give me a referral to go to um, a large children's hospital. And they knew, like, even before they officially called me with the test results, you know, because they have to type some things up and do a report, they did tell me that they, yes, they knew that there was something there, that he was definitely somewhere on the spectrum. And that testing, you know, it's not like a blood test. It was a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with him through a team of different um, specialists. Um, and you know, before I left that day, even though I didn't have my follow-up appointment for a couple of weeks, they let me know that, yes, they, they knew that he was somewhere on the spectrum. And when they did call with the results, you know, the doctor said, you know, you were persistent. You knew and you didn't give up. And, you know, I think it was also, I think it was even more of a relief to be able to get the resources for him, even more so than me. I mean, this is... You know, someone's child, and I guess looking back, my parents must have felt that way for me. Um, and you know, dealing with it with my son, 
as even though I knew it was coming, even though, you know, I, we had somewhat discussed it before we even left that hospital that day, we did a video conference because it is quite a long distance to travel back and forth. And as soon as she said it on the, um, the video call, I just started to cry and it was a relief in a lot of ways. I mean, of course, any parent will say they don't want anything, you know, was technically, you know, they will say is wrong with your child. I don't think there's anything wrong with him now. I think he's, he's what he's supposed to be. Um, and you know, it was, like I said, I think it was more of a relief to get a diagnosis for him so that I could then reach for those different resources instead of being told time and time again, as usual, that, you know, they don't need to have treatment or they don't need to give me a referral. And while it took years, you know, it was very important to maintain that persistence, especially with having the number of different doctors Let's face it, they're not going to all sit there and read through every single page of a chart. I just kept repeating it. Now, something else just kind of going forward after you've had your diagnosis. Um, keep a detailed list of what works for you, what doesn't work for you. Um, even within the same type of illness, different people react to different medications or treatments differently. So make sure you understand the types of medications you've been on and how they affect you. Um, because if you ever are in a situation where you're with a different doctor, you will have um, you know, quick access to your um, information. Also, um, I kind of touched on this earlier, make sure that the doctor you're seeing wants to get to the actual cause of your pain, not I'm just going to treat your um, treat your symptom, meaning the pain, um, or whatever it may be with the certain illness that you may have. Make sure that they're not just trying to put a Band-Aid on something. Make sure they actually want to get to the cause and do whatever they can within the resources that we have at this time to actually treat the cause. Because if that's not treated, it's... You know, like I said, just putting a Band-Aid on something. And while you know, there's, there's probably thousands of illnesses that there's not a known cure for, but if there's something that can at least get to the root of it and stop it from happening, um, whatever the symptom is, that's much better than just having the symptom itself treated. Um, just kind of a side note too, um, I signed up for a certain, you know, DNA site. Um, it was more for the health reasons, not necessarily ancestry itself, um, because one of the options they had was for health screening and information. And while it may not happen in my lifetime or even my children's lifetime, the more information we have on different illnesses, the you know better the opportunities for treatment. And I know I've mentioned this in previous podcasts, but I think it you know it bears repeating that the more information we have, the better 
chances of having more treatment options or getting those treatment options sooner. Now, the last thing that you can do with, um, you know, if your doctor's not really listening to you is the one that I think would be the hardest for many of us, and that's actually switching your doctor. While, you know, if we've been with a certain doctor for a long period of time, it's this, you know, balancing of, okay, they don't always listen to me, but I don't have to possibly go to a doctor who's never treated someone with my illness or someone who doesn't understand my illness. I'm at least with a doctor who knows what I have. So if you're really not being heard though, it doesn't matter to an extent that they know your history. If they're not listening to how you're feeling at that moment, then you know, it doesn't really matter if they're not listening to you right then because illnesses evolve. The impacts that illnesses have on our bodies, you know, it changes. So the doctors need to be open. And if you've been with a doctor, even if it's been, you know, for decades and they have stopped or will not listen, then it's time to look for a new doctor. Um, now, again, referring back to an article, um, they did uh, mention that with autoimmune patients, they average four different doctors over a four-year period before a diagnosis is made. So while I didn't actually um, see a new primary care physician, I did see a number of different specialists. And it actually took longer for me um, because at times I lived in New York when I was in college. I lived in a different city for a little while, um, kind of in between. So, you know, I, I had kind of a similar situation in that um, I saw a different doctor all the time. So they really didn't get to know me. But I, it was always, you have an upper respiratory infection. And it was just... It was every time I saw a doctor, you have an upper respiratory infection. And, you know, it was like nobody really got to the root of it, though. Um, they just treated the infection instead of saying, okay, well, you're getting an infection like every other month. Um, if someone had really looked into that a lot further, then, you know, again, the overall impact to my health would have been much, much different. So... I do want to, you know, just reiterate as we get to the end of this episode that you know your body, you know your symptoms, they are real and they deserve to be taken seriously. So I'm just going to go back a few steps and, you know, say that it's important to accept that you do feel the way that you do. You know, don't question yourself. Don't go back and think, okay, is this really real or... You know, is it just that I'm not able to handle it? Know that your feelings, both physically and emotionally, are justified. And we shouldn't let other push the, others push those feelings down inside of us. If we keep doing that, we'll never get the help that we need. And finding out and getting a diagnosis earlier rather than later can go a long way to stop or slow the damage from the illness. So just remember to be strong be confident, and be assured. Don't let a bunch of letters after someone's name saying that they're an MD or they have this degree 
don't let that intimidate you. While they may have some technical knowledge, some scientific knowledge, you have the actual experiences. And a doctor should take your experiences, whether it's physical feelings, emotional feelings, whatever you're going through, they need to take that information and then put it into their you know, scientific ways, whether it's, you know, like I was saying before, my doctor would consult other doctors, look up different illnesses, you know, they have that, you know, that training, they need to put it all together. So just remember again, you deserve to be heard and taken seriously. So that will end it for this week's episode. Um, I'm just going to reiterate also, I did change um, the podcast hosts to Podbean. So hopefully um, the, the previous host was supposed to redirect um, if you went to one of those um, episodes, it was supposed to send you to the new host. So I hope that that is working properly. Um, but my Facebook page, which is See the Invisible 2020, um, that webpage will have the links to Podbean as well as when you go to Podbean, there'll be different links to the different um, podcatchers or the ways to listen to podcasts. So I hope everybody stays safe um, and I hope everyone has a good um, week this week and I will hopefully be talking to you all next week and have a good one. Thanks again for listening. Bye.